We're in the, the series, the, the Gospel According to Matthew, and uh, the, the, the title this morning is Priorities. Priorities. Matthew's chapter, Matthew chapter 12, verse 1 through 14. Matthew 12, 1 through 14. Let me ask you, have you ever wrestled with priorities in your life? Uh, we, we can all shake our head. Yep, yeah, we've all. Uh, you know, which should come first? I've got two things here, three things. Which should come first? What's most important here in this circumstance? And how do I decide what's most important? Um, some, uh, some decisions in, uh, for priorities is easy. Uh, it's a no-brainer. Uh, like, which is more important, painting the bathroom or fixing the leaky faucet that's dripping underneath the cabinet? Uh, which one should you do first? Uh, well, it's pretty obvious, right? That's a no-brainer. Uh, it's, it's more important to stop the leaking faucet, right? Because the, the longer it leaks, the more damage it's going to do to your, to your cabinet, to the floor below. So you've got to get that done first. You can paint any time. Get the leak stopped first. That's priority. Um, uh, some things are easy like that. Other things are, other things are a little more challenging. Wow, which should come first? Um, it's the end of the month and you're down to your last few dollars. You've paid all your bills except for the rent and the utility bills. You've only got enough money to pay one of them. Which one comes first, the rent or the utility bill? Uh, It's cold outside. It's the middle of January, and if you don't pay your utility bill, they're going to turn your power off, and and you're going to be cold. But if you don't pay your rent, you might get evicted and be out on the street. (laughs) Uh, so, which, you know, I would imagine if we took a survey of, of, of you all, we probably have some in both camps. You know, I'd pay the rent, I'd pay the utility bill. And it might depend on your situation, too. Everybody's situation is different. Uh, there could be several factors to consider, like how flexible is your landlord? <laughs> uh, or, or how strict is the utility company? Is there a grace period uh, for, for your bill? Um, is the landlord already upset at you because you were late last month? You know, a lot of things to consider to decide, which should I do first? Uh, I know all of us have been in circumstances like that. I, I've done the old money shuffle many times in my younger days, and I'm sure many of you all have too. Um, often in life, we have to make decisions about priorities. What's most important? Uh, in, in our passage today, Jesus is confronted with, with a couple of issues invo- involving priorities, particularly in, in our walk with God What's most important? What's most important? Uh, When faced with two choices, and both of those choices are good choices. We're not talking about a sinful thing and a good thing, uh, but they're both good things um, uh, in in and of themselves. Which would God want me to do first? Let's look at Matthew 12, verses 1 through 2 first. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Jesus was confronted by the Pharisees uh, about his and his disciples' priorities here. Uh, The Pharisees were were a sect of Jews that were very committed uh, in their minds. They wanted to do everything just right just right when it came to serving God. And very often, Jesus's priorities conflicted with the Pharisees' priorities. 
Uh, and the dispute here for the Pharisees involved the rules and commandments that dealt with the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath day. Now, the Sabbath was God's gift to Israel in the form of a weekly day off. Uh, God knew that if people were going to, be, going to remain healthy, uh, physically, mentally, spiritually, in their life, they needed rest. And they needed rest not once in a while, every now and then, but they needed regular rest. Now, you might remember during our, our Ten Commandments series that we did a while back uh, when we talked about the Sabbath, as, as slaves, the Israelites, before they were rescued from slavery in Egypt, they had been forced to make bricks for Egypt seven days a week from sunup to sundown. There were no breaks. There were no holidays. There were no days off for the Israelites. You, basically, you worked until you died. Well, soon after God delivered them from slavery, he gave them his law, which included the Ten Commandments. <clears throat> uh, and one of those commandments was that Israel should have a day off every week. <laughs> and, and on that day, they were forbidden to work. They were to focus on God and focus on resting their bodies and their minds. Now, imagine going uh, from working seven days a week, making bricks for Egypt, from sunup to sundown, never having a break, then, and then suddenly, suddenly being guaranteed a whole day off, not once in a while, but every week. Man, how sweet was that, if you happen to have been one of those Israelites back then. Now understand, uh, this day, the Sabbath, <clears throat> was meant to be used as a way for the Israelites to take care of their bodies, uh, to take care of their minds, to rest, because a human body needs rest. It was a gift from God to the Israelites. It was a holy day. Yes, the, the commandment says, uh, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. It was a holy day, but not holy like an idol that you worship. Uh, it was holy because it was a gift from God. That's what made it holy. And it was for the benefit of the Israelites so that they could rest, not so that they can worship it. Now, by the time of, of Jesus, uh, the Sabbath had, had become something that it was not meant to be. It had become something that you worship almost. Uh, it had become a sacred day that had all but lost its original intent, the reason God gave it to them. It had become a day where you, you didn't work, but you didn't work as an act of worship to honor the day. Um, rather than a day that God gave you to rest your bodies and your minds by not working. Now, how in the world did this happen? How did the meaning of the Sabbath get all twisted? Well, beyond the actual Ten Commandments, um, uh, the bulk of the law, Ten Commandments is just one part of God's law. The bulk of the law, or the Torah, uh, it's called the Torah, or the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those first five books of the Bible is the Torah, or, or the Torah, is the Torah. Uh, I guess the Torah is a thing, uh, it, it, or the Torah. Uh, now, in the Torah, there are more details. The Ten Commandments are just the ten listed commandments, right? But in the Torah are the details explaining the Ten Commandments and, and other commandments. 
In other words, what do you do? The, 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 the commandment is don't commit adultery, right? Well, what do you do if somebody commits adultery? Uh, what do you do if somebody lies? What do you do if someone commits murder or dishonors God? How do you, how do you deal with that? What does that even mean? How do you honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy? Well, the basic idea that you get from the Torah is, is very simple. It's basically this. On the Sabbath day, <clears throat> pray, play, rest, and don't work. <laughs> play, pray, rest, and don't work. Don't work. Uh, and, and work includes labor outside of the home and labor inside of the home. Um, in, in other words, what, what is your daily work? What is your job? What's your job that you, that you do to make a living? Um, well, whatever that is, don't do it. <laughs> don't do your job. Uh, if you're a farmer, don't farm. If you're the cook at your, your family's home, don't cook. Uh, don't clean. Whatever your job is during the week, during the other six days, don't do that job. Get all your work done on the other six days, and then on the Sabbath, stop. Stop it. Prepare your meals. If you're the cook, prepare your meals the day before on Friday. And no cheating. There must be genuine work. No work. Well, but beyond a general command to not work, there's really no detailed descriptions of what exactly is work. What is work? Define that for me. Um, and so the definition of work had to be interpreted by the people, uh, especially the rabbis. Application of rules that have little or no details requires interpretation. That's true in life. And, and sometimes these interpretations uh, tend to manipulate uh, the original intent of a, a rule or a command. Um, you know, kids manipulate the rules all the time, don't they? Uh, your kids ever manipulate the rules? Uh, mine certainly did. Um, I told you not to touch your brother. Now, don't touch your brother. Hey, I said don't touch your brother. I didn't touch him. I touched him with a stick. <laughs> I didn't touch him. The stick touched him. You know, Kids like to manipulate the rules, right? Uh, their interpretation of don't touch your brother is physically with your body touching the brother. That doesn't include a stick or, or, or an airplane or whatever you have in your hand. Uh, often rules with little detail must be interpreted. So parents don't say, don't touch your brother, and that includes. All, and, and try to figure out all the different ways that they can manipulate it and overcome that. Now, the Jews uh, also set out to interpret God's rules, God's laws. Uh, and sometimes they were just like children. They did just like the children in the back seat. Uh, they twisted it so that they could feel like they were keeping God's law when they were actually breaking it. Uh, they were notorious for doing that, especially with commandments that dealt with giving money or helping a neighbor. Anything that cost them something personally. Uh, you know, so they, they, could, they figured out how they could sort of give 10%, but not really, and sort of help their, their neighbor, but not really. Um, other times, though, their interpretations went far beyond what God intended, especially when it came to worshiping God uh, and, and when, it, when, it, when it was their relationship with Him 
Uh, they would go far beyond the intended meaning. The Jews were very conscious of trying to get things right with God when it came to worship and honoring Him. Uh, they didn't want to take anything for granted in, in that area or, or, or assume anything. So often their interpretation of God's law was extreme, further, much further than it was intended to go. And when it came to worship... Um, you know, it was better to be safe than sorry, right? We don't want to fall short when it comes to worshiping God. Uh, for example, God's name is holy. God's name is holy. So the Jews' interpretation of, of how to deal with God's holy name was to simply not say it, <laughs> to not speak it. Uh, so, so rather than saying God's name, Yahweh, um, and, and accidentally mispronouncing it, for goodness sakes, they just would never say it, and they would substitute other names. They would never say the actual name of God because they wanted to honor it, so they went to an extreme. God never meant for them not to say his name. Now, to manage all these interpretations uh, that the Jews came up with, the rabbis began to develop what's known as the oral tradition. Uh, it, it was an oral commentary, uh, an, an oral interpretation of God's laws and, and what God's laws meant. This is what God meant when he said this. And for centuries, these interpretations were only oral. The rabbis memorized them, uh, and then they would pass them from rabbi to rabbi, and then the rabbis would teach them to the people. It was never written down for, for hundreds of years. Soon after Jesus' time here on earth, though, about the end of the first century, these oral traditions were finally written down, and it was initially called the Mishnah. Uh, the Mishnah. Now, the Mishnah included 3,000 commandments or 3,000 interpretations of the actual commandments in the Torah. And it's been estimated that in the Torah, there's only about 613 total commandments in, in the actual Bible, the Old Testament, the first five books of the Old Testament. Now, the, the Mishnah included 6,000 commentary or 3,000 commentaries on the Torah. Later, these interpretations were expanded and became the Talmud. Now, the Talmud included 6,000 interpretations of God's law. Uh, uh, these were the rabbi's explanations or interpretations of what God's law, the first five books of the Bible, meant. <laughs> now, included in these rabbinic oral traditions were guidelines on the Sabbath and particularly what work was. The Old Testament basically says, don't work on the Sabbath. Uh, and, and most common sense people would say, okay, I, I get that. I understand. I, don't, I won't do my job on the Sabbath. But what exactly is work? We, we don't want to mess it up. We, we don't want to take anything for granted. Well, the oral tradition explained what work was. And, and to make sure that they covered all their bases, work included uh, no travel, which was defined as uh, don't travel any farther than two miles from your home on the Sabbath. Um, no farming was one thing. Of course, no farming would be the, the farmer's job. You don't farm. Um, but what exactly is farming? Farming includes what? Harvesting. Well, what is harvesting? Well, no, most people would think, well, harvest, harvesting is when we go in there and we gather the crop for market. And we take it to the marketplace uh, to sell it. Uh, but to cover their bases, just in case they got it wrong, um, the oral tradition defined harvesting as even picking a couple of grapes off a vine 
or picking a few heads of grain for a snack. That was considered harvesting. Therefore, it was sinful. Um, Jesus' disciples were hungry on one Sabbath day. Uh, They were passing through this field, uh, and it was filled with grain. They were not farmers. That was not their job. Uh, They were fishermen and tax collectors and other things. They weren't farmers. This was not their field. It was somebody else's field. There was no plan by the disciples of Jesus to bring in the crop and take it to market that day. Uh, They they just needed a quick pick-me-up as they were walking along. uh, And so they took a few grains of of the grain and ate them. Well, some of the Pharisees, uh, again, they were a sect of Jews. And these Pharisees generally followed the oral law religiously. Uh, And they expected others to do the same as they did. Uh, They saw the disciples doing uh, what they were doing, picking this grain, harvesting, and they accused them of breaking the law by working. You guys are working on the Sabbath. Now, it wasn't God's law they were breaking. It was their law, the oral tradition, which to them had become just as sacred as the Old Testament, the, the Torah. So here was Jesus' response to them, verses 3 through 8. He answered, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, some might look at at Jesus here and accuse Jesus of breaking the law as he picked some grains, he and his disciples picked some grains uh, off the field. And the answer is, you know what? He did. He did break the law, Uh, uh, but not God's law. Jesus did not break the Torah. Jesus never broke the Torah. Jesus, however, did sometimes break the oral law, uh, the traditions of the rabbis. And he did that usually because he wanted to make a point about how their interpretation of God's law was was completely missed. The, The reason that God gave uh, them his law was completely missed, and Jesus would often break the oral tradition just to make a point about that. And in this case, their interpretation of what keeping the Sabbath was for and was about. Jesus did what he often did. Rather than referring to the oral tradition uh, to make a point, Jesus referred to the Old Testament, the Torah, uh, to make his point, uh, and, uh, and, and other passages in the Old Testament. And in this case, he brought up a story, an incident that happened in 1 Samuel chapter 21. Um, Now, he just mentioned just a snippet of that whole story in 1 Samuel 21, but this was a passage that the Pharisees would have been very familiar with. Often, Jesus would just throw out one little line from the scripture because he knew that the Pharisees probably had memorized the whole story. And so all he had to do was just mention, you know that story about David and the temple and the bread? And, and in their minds, oh, yep, I'm f- we're familiar with that story. We know it by heart. 
The story was that David and his men were running for their lives from King Saul. If you go back and read that passage, you get the whole context. Um, Saul was trying to kill David, and so David was running for his life. And, and they came to the tabernacle. Uh, they were looking for something to eat because he and his men were hungry. And David asked the priest for some bread to eat. Well, the only bread available was the sacred bread that was used uh, in the temple. Uh, and this bread was a symbolic reminder of God's covenant with his people to provide for their needs. That's what the bread was for. Each day, a fresh loaf, fresh loaves of bread would be placed on this special table called the table of showbread. And according to the Old Testament law, the Torah, only priests could eat this bread. And they could only eat it after it had been replaced with fresh bread. So it was always day-old bread for them. Um, but here, David is hungry. David and his men are hungry. There is no bread available to give them. Uh, the priest has no bread, other bread, to give them. Um, you know, in addition to taking care of the temple, uh, to offering sacrifices to God on behalf of the people, one of the jobs of the Old Testament priests was to distribute resources to people who were in need. That was part of their job. Um, so here, the priest had to make a decision upon, uh, of David's request. In his mind, he had to decide which is more important, protecting a symbol of worship or and, and that's important. It's important to protect those symbols that God gave. Or feeding hungry people. Which is more important? Protecting a religious symbol or feeding hungry people? Well, the priest's decision was people are more important than holy bread. And Jesus' point was, referring to a story that these Pharisees were very familiar with, God cares about symbols, yes, but he cares more about people. The second example Jesus uses is pointing out that, you know, guys, priests, if you think about it, priests technically break the Sabbath every Sabbath. <laughs> they break the, the, the rule not to work every week. And he was referring to uh, a passage in Numbers chapter 28. Again, Jesus goes to the text. He's not bothering with the oral tradition. He goes to the text. Um, priests, he pointed out, work every Sabbath. Uh, when they were offering sacrifices and doing their duties in the, tap, in the, in the temple. Um, and yet, they're considered innocent of breaking it. Because priests offering, need to be offering sacrifices on behalf of the people. That's more important than resting for them. They could rest another day. They could rest another day. The point of the Sabbath, Jesus is trying to help them see, was for people to rest not to follow a religious command that you can just check the box. Well, I did that. I did that. It's about rest, not rituals. Verse 7 and 8. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have commit, condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. You're showing mercy to people trumps religious rituals. Showing mercy to people trumps religious rituals. Now, rituals are important. They are very important. They, they, they can help remind us of whatever they represent. And it's a good thing to do them because it stimulates our memory uh, to honor things. 
The sacred bread in the temple was a daily reminder of God's provision for his people. And it was important. But a hungry person's need takes priority over a symbol. That's Jesus' point. And, and Jesus can say this because he's the one that created the symbol and the Sabbath day. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. We can trust his opinion on this. We can trust his interpretation of this. Uh, and he testifies that, that these Pharisees just they have their priorities out of order. This lesson continues a little later when Jesus ends up at a, at a synagogue. Let's look at uh, verse 9 through 14. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue. And a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, to the man uh, the, the, with the shriveled hand, stretch out your hand. So he stretched, out, stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the others. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. You know, while Jesus was at the synagogue, a man with a shriveled hand, probably had had it all of his life, um, was there in attendance. Um, the Pharisees were also there. That Maybe they had followed him from wherever they were before. Uh, you know, they were always trying to, to catch him, to trip him up. And here they were trying to push Jesus into a trap. Um, referring to the man with the shriveled hand and, and knowing Jesus had the power to heal, or at least he claimed to, they, they, they heard that he had claimed to, they asked him, okay, Jesus, is it okay to heal this man on the Sabbath? Well, according to their interpretation of work, uh, they would have considered healing someone on the Sabbath as work. And therefore, it would have been breaking the Sabbath. It would have been sinful to heal someone on the Sabbath. Now, why in the world would somebody think like that? You know, it, do it doesn't seem logical. You know, common sense. Common sense would say, well, absolutely, of course, it's okay to heal someone on the Sabbath. I mean, what's wrong with these Pharisees? Why do they think like this? Well, here's how likely they thought like this. Um, th that the Sabbath is more important than helping a fellow human being. Throughout the ages in the Jewish world, there have been key rabbis, uh, key teachers uh, who Jews would turn to for guidance uh, beyond just their local synagogue and their local rabbi. Well, in Jesus' day, there were two key rabbis, two key teachers that most Jews followed. Uh, there was Rabbi Shammai and Rabbi Hillel. Uh, from these rabbis came two schools of thought. <clears throat> uh, uh, and, and the way you practice your faith as a Jew depended on which rabbi and his school of thought that you followed. Um, each of them, Rabbi Shammai and Rabbi uh, Hillel, uh, prioritized the commands of God uh, or defined how weighty they were. The weightiest ones went to the top, and the next weightiest one was second, and, and so on and so forth. And both of them, Shammai and Hillel, agreed <clears throat> that the most important law of God, the most important commandment of God was 
to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. There was no arguing about number one. Everybody was in agreement. But the argument came with number two. Um, Rabbi Shammai's number two commandment was obey the Sabbath. Obey the Sabbath. Obedience was his, was his big uh, emphasis. Rabbi Halil's number two commandment was love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Rabbi Shammai also believed that loving your neighbor as yourself was also important. It was on his list of, of commandments, but not more important than following the Sabbath. It was down the list a little ways. Not number two. And the Pharisees generally agreed with Rabbi Shammai's school of thought, his interpretations. So, you can understand they genuinely believed, because that's what they had been taught all their life, um, that, that it was more important to not work than it was to help a fellow human being on the Sabbath. Now, Rabbi Halil's interpretation was, Yes, keeping the Sabbath is important, and it was, that was on his list too, but it was further down. Number two for him was absolutely, number two is love your neighbor. Help a human being that's in need. As you can see, Jesus would probably say, Rabbi Halil got it right. Both, Jesus would agree, both laws are important, but loving your neighbor is weightier, is heavier than following the Sabbath, especially the way the Pharisees said to follow the Sabbath. And then Jesus gives an example of the fact that these Pharisees, who were such sticklers on the details, he gives an example of the fact that the Pharisees, they didn't even follow their own interpretation sometimes, especially when it came to something that would cost them some money. You know, like if a sheep gets caught in a pit, he was pointing and reminding them, uh, if your sheep gets caught in the pit, you're getting that sheep out. You're not going to let it die. Sheep, sheep cost money. They're valuable. So you're going to do whatever work it takes to get that sheep out. And then he, then he points out what's so obvious. Aren't people more valuable than sheep? You know, sometimes, if you think about it, two of God's laws can conflict like, love your neighbor and don't lie. Love your neighbor and don't lie. Or two of God's commands, right? We've often heard the, the dilemma of Christians in Europe during World War II uh, who were hiding Jews in their cellar or under their stairs or in the wall. And, 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 and the Nazis would come around trying to find Jews, and they'd knock on a Christian's door, and they'd say, are you hiding Jews here in your house? Well, which law should they follow? Don't lie or love your neighbor. I mean, both of them are legitimate laws, right, that God calls us to, to obey. Well, the answer is obvious. It's love your neighbor. Uh, it's love your neighbor. And in this case, in order to love your neighbor, what have you got to do? You've got to lie and say, no, no, we don't, we don't have any Jews here. And, and this is not saying that... We can manipulate God's law so that we can still do whatever we want to do, like our kids do sometimes. And we, we do too. We're, we're, we're guilty of it too. No, it's not manipulating God's laws. It's trying to understand God's priorities and arranging our priorities to be the same as His. 
When, when we understand why the Pharisees likely believed the, the way they did, um, it makes sense then why later one of them asked Jesus in Matthew 22, verse 36, Hey, teacher, which is the greatest commandment? Which is the greatest commandment in the law? You see, they were asking for his interpretation. They knew what they believed, what their priorities were. They wanted to know, what, 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 what's your priorities, Jesus? What order are yours in? Uh, and Jesus said to them, guys, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what the greatest commandment is. I can narrow it down to two. Just two. The first one, we're all in agreement with, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Um, and, and then the second one is, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he adds, all of the laws, all of them, can center around those two laws. Everything you do in your walk with God should center around those two laws. Love God and love people. You know, one of the reasons the Pharisees wanted to get rid of Jesus <clears throat> is because in their minds, Jesus' teaching were wrong when it came to priorities. When it came to priorities. So I guess the question that we could ask ourselves is, what are our priorities? And how do they compare with God's priorities? How do they compare to God's priorities? What are the top five most important things in your life? Uh, and, and, and what order are they in? Maybe we can name all five, but what, what's number one and number two and number three and four and five? You know, like the, Jews, the Jews of Jesus' day, um, we, we might be tempted to quickly answer, well, of course, <laughs> number one is love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. We all agree with that, right? Uh, that's what we would throw at number one immediately. But let me, let me, let me, let's stop for a minute. Before we just throw that as number one, in our life, let's all take a quick inventory, an honest inventory of our personal priorities. What do we spend most of our time doing? What do we spend most of our time thinking about in a, in a typical day? If loving God is number one in our life, what is your interpretation of what loving God is? Here's a couple of indicators that might be, we might think about. Think about your life, your everyday life. How much time do we spend each week talking to God? Uh, every now and then? Uh, once a day? At night before we go to bed or first thing in the morning? Maybe twice a day? How about meal time? We do it mostly just at meal time. Uh, or often throughout the day? Or hardly ever? I mean, think about it. How often do you, do you talk to God? How often each week do we spend listening to God through His Word? That's how God talks to us, through His Word. Every now and then? On Sundays when Mark's reading passages during his sermon, or during Sunday school when Joe's teaching a Sunday school lesson, or Maybe on Wednesday night, if you come to Wednesday night and we read it then, that's about the only time I read Scripture, and usually that's somebody else reading it to me. A <laughs> uh, couple times a week, every day, hardly ever. How much time do we spend each week listening to God through His Word? Is gathering with your spiritual family a priority for you and your family? And you all are here, so I'm preaching to the choir, right? Um, 
Uh, how often, how, how, what priority is gathering with your spiritual family? Other than work and maybe sickness, how easily do other things keep you from worship on Sundays? Perhaps an even greater indicator uh, of whether God is number one or where he lies on your list. In all that you do and say, in all that you do and say, do you consciously and intentionally try to live your life in a way that brings honor to God? In your marriage, the entertainment choices you, you, you choose, your parenting, the way you parent, your work ethic on your job, the example you try to set at home or at work. And if you see, then you take an honest evaluation that, that you and I would take of our life. And if it shows that we're falling short in, in making our love for God the most important thing in our life, well, what, step do we, what steps do you, what steps do I need to take to change that? To change that, to take him from number five or three all the way to the top at number one. To move him from wherever he is to number one. I think it takes a plan. All right, I'm falling short. I don't spend as much time in prayer as I should. I'm going to change that. I'm going to make a plan. I'm going to start making a habit of talking to God multiple times through the day. I'm going to pick up God's word uh, more than just on Sunday morning and Wednesday night, and read it. Um, I'm going to make a plan. I'm going I'm to be conscious of the, my example when I'm at work, when I'm talking to my children, the way I'm treating my wife. I'm going to be conscious of that, and I'm going to start uh, making my life be like Jesus, be a little bit more like Jesus. Make a plan and start today. You know, Jesus took all the guesswork out about what number two should be, right? We don't have to wonder about that. We don't have to go to, to uh, Rabbi Shemai or Halil to figure out what number two is. Uh, the guy who created the commandments told us, <laughs> it's love your neighbor as yourselves. Uh, that's number two. That's number two. So is, let's take an honest evaluation of our, of our priorities. Is loving our neighbor, loving people, number two uh, in our lives? Uh, some indicators that would kind of give us a clue as to whether or not that's true. How much time each day do we spend thinking about and doing things for ourselves? Taking care of our needs, our wants, our stuff, our frustrations. Me, me, me. How much time do we think about me? Uh, well, that's how you love yourself, isn't it? You, you take care of your needs. You think about stuff that's important to you. Uh, uh, that's how you love yourself, right? Well, compare that to how much time you spend thinking about and doing things for others. Jesus said that we should love our neighbor as we love ourselves, right? <clears throat> well, how much time do we spend doing that? Starting with our own family, our, our wife, our husband, our children, our grandchildren. Starting with our family, but also other people in our lives, our, our co-workers, our friends, how often do we consciously and intentionally think about others and take action to love them? To, to meet a need, to offer encouragement, to offer a prayer for them. And again, if we're falling short of that, and I know I, I do often with, with that, if we're falling short of making others number two, 
What steps do we need to take to change that? Uh, To move them from wherever they are up where they need to be to number two. To think less about ourselves and more about others. Now, we will not do these things if we don't have a plan. You know, if we just say, yeah, I probably should do that. (laughs) Uh, No, I I need to say, okay, all right, here's an honest inventory of my priorities, and here's what I need to do to put them in their right place. We won't do it unless we have a plan. So how can we think less about ourselves today and more about our spouse, more about our children, more about our coworkers, more about that waitress at the restaurant, uh, more about our friend on Facebook that's asking for prayer, uh, more about the people in the Ukraine. Um, um, Make a plan and start today. Make a plan and start today. And think about it. Uh, Once you have these two priorities in order, (laughs) number one and number two, according to Jesus, you're good to go. You're good to go. Uh, You don't need 6,000 rules in the Talmud. Uh, You don't need 3,000 in the Mishnah. You don't even need 613 in the Torah. (laughs) You just need two. Just two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for making life simple in service to you. It's not easy to to put in practice. Loving you and loving others can be difficult sometimes. But, well, we don't have to keep up with 6,000 rules or 613 rules. We just got to, in everything that we do, Lord, all we have to do is think, uh, Lord, is this honoring you that I'm doing or thinking or saying? Is this loving some person in my life? Am I loving them? Am I? Are, are, are they even on my radar? Am I thinking about them? Do I care about them? Just those two things, Lord. It's, it's so simple. And you can give us the strength to make it real, to make it happen. You can give us the strength to have an honest inventory of our priorities, and you can give us the strength to make a plan and work that plan. So, Lord, help us to to learn what's most important to you and to make that most important uh, in our lives. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.